All right, we'd like to thank everybody for coming back to Arts for All Kentucky Stories. I'm Sam Kirby. I'm excited to host the podcast today. We've got a new slate of exciting guests for you. Before we get started, I'd like to thank the Kentucky Arts Council and the Kentucky Department of Education Office for Special Education and Early Learning for supporting this and many other Arts for All Kentucky initiatives. So thank you for what you do. I'm excited to kick off another interview today. We have Tallery McRae with us. Thank you for being here, Tallery. Hello. Hello. Let's dive into what you do as it relates to Arts for All Kentucky. Sure. So I am a teaching artist on the Arts for All Kentucky roster. My artistic discipline is theater. So I do a lot of work that is theater and drama based. And I also just have an interest in general at what arts integration strategies across disciplines. So visual art, dance, music, video, you know, what all disciplines look like in inclusive access-centered space. So you talked about something cross-disciplinary. Give me an example of that. Something that I'm really passionate about is that there are, particularly living in Kentucky, and I live in Louisville, there are many, many arts experiences that are open to lots of different young people. So here in Louisville, we have Lincoln Performing Arts Elementary School, which is a performing arts magnet And the students there have access to visual art, dance, drama, instrumental music, and vocal music. And many schools like Lincoln that have those kinds of arts opportunities for their students, I think to varying degrees, feel confident and have the tools to make sure that students with disabilities are included in those experiences in meaningful ways. Some schools are really practiced in that and know what that looks like. And other schools and staff members have a a huge desire to be really inclusive, but don't necessarily have a huge toolkit for what those tools of inclusion look like on a day-to-day basis. Gotcha. So you have the opportunity to help them do that? So my discipline is theater. And one of the opportunities that many young people in Kentucky have is the opportunity to go to a theater performance. Oftentimes during the school day, it's a field trip opportunity. Some schools are very well practiced and regularly include students with disabilities in their field trip plans. And other schools and administrations are just a little bit more hesitant. They're not sure what that looks like. They're not sure how they can feel prepared and how their students can feel prepared. For example, go on a field trip to see a play. So in years past, I have worked with schools and also with presenting arts organizations to start a dialogue between the ECE teachers or the special education teachers and maybe the presenting arts organization or the house management at the theater, just to make sure that the lines of communication are open about what do you need to feel most comfortable coming on this field trip? What kind of preparation would be helpful for you and your students to have to know what to expect? What can the theater or the ushers or the other audience members expect? Again, the desire is almost always there, but sometimes even just the practice of having that open communication and dialogue is sometimes new to people. So I am always really grateful and happy to be a facilitator of those conversations. That's great. So if that desire is there for a lot of venues, a lot of schools, what sort of barriers exist that you kind of have the opportunity to help them overcome? I think one of the barriers that everyone involved can come up against is perceptions of what 
is expected or acceptable, and also just perceptions about how we talk about disability and difference and how we talk about what individual needs we might have. So I might be working with a teacher who has a self-contained classroom whose students have sensory needs and may need to move in an hour's time when an, when an audience member might be sitting and watching a play, their students might need to stand up and move while they're also watching the play. And that teacher might not know that if you connect with the theater ahead of time and let them know, there might be a space for that student to stand up and move around and do what they need to do. You know, sensory friendly performances and relaxed performances are becoming more and more common in Kentucky and also around the country. But again, maybe a teacher's not aware of this opportunity and maybe an arts organization hasn't specifically reached out to teachers in their area to let them know that that's a possibility. Is there a point throughout your evolution of your career where there was kind of that in-your-face moment of there's a way to bring inclusion or to meet arts for all? Or at what point was there some sort of collision of like, here's my art form, here's a way that I can make it more available, more accessible? I'm not sure if there was one moment where that happened. I grew up loving theater. I also have a physical disability. I have cerebral palsy. And I just felt really at home doing theater. I was really fortunate to work with many, many, many teachers who were willing to be kind of creative and flexible with me and work with what were my individual needs to do my best work, to be in the play, to work backstage on the play, to stage manage the play. I kind of have tried all of those things in my time. I think when I was in college studying theater and then in graduate school studying theater education, I realized that I didn't want my experience to be the exception. I didn't want my experience or the teachers that I worked with to be a rare occurrence. And I wanted to see if it was possible to share widely with educators and with artists, with producing theaters, with teachers, with principals, with administrators, with parents, the tools for how to make an arts experience as accessible as possible, because I think that's really important. And as I got really interested in that and started studying that, I also realized that focusing on inclusion and focusing on different strategies to make sure as many people felt welcome and felt like they could do their best work as possible what I found in that process was that it actually made a really exciting art making process. It was an extra layer of creativity to think about inclusion intentionally. And in my experience, that made the art that we were making, the story that we were telling that much more interesting, which was really, really cool. And then layered on top of that, I found as an adult artist with a disability, that there is a whole community of working disabled artists around the country that are finding their own language, figuring out their own way to make art and express themselves and their experience as people with disabilities. And so it's almost as if that disability identity offers another cultural landscape to then, again, use as a lens to tell stories with. Would you say you're particularly inspired by some of your teachers and that experience and the way that they open things up for you? You had mentioned that you didn't want to be an exception. So sounds like those teachers really made an impact on you. It was very impactful to think back on moments in my life when 
I felt successfully supported as an artist. And for me, the value in that is the process. So I am incredibly grateful to the teachers who modeled that process for me. And as I keep going as an artist, as a teaching artist, as an educator, I continue to get inspired by returning to that process and asking those important questions and working through it, not being successful sometimes and then being successful other times. For me, it kind of parallels the artistic process. So I would say, above all, I'm inspired by that problem-solving process. And in doing that, do you think that the problem-solving piece of it, why is theater such a good art form to broaden, to make more accessible in your experience? In my experience, the tools for making any process accessible come down to creativity, flexibility, and offering choices. And so I think any art form, be it theater or visual art, that artistic process And the habits that artists have when they're entering into a generative process lend themselves really well to the idea of how am I being mindful of my creativity? How am I using my creativity? And how am I offering myself choices within the structures that I have to explore, try a little trial and error, do that? You know, so the artist habits of mind that work in the artistic process, I also think work in the inclusion process. And interestingly enough, many schools around the country in Kentucky and elsewhere are thinking about STEAM education, right? So science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And anyone that's worked in STEAM will tell you that the scientific process and the artistic process are incredibly similar as well in terms of that trial and error. So I always like to just line up that inclusion and access process right alongside science and art and see where you can pull those parallels out. What are some of the challenges to, in that problem solving, tackle in making theater more accessible? Like, What are some examples of some modifications or some opportunities that can be steered in such a way that make the theater opportunity more available? Like, What are some examples? One barrier to making theater more accessible, I think, is often time. Because I think we decide for ourselves how long a process should take, how much rehearsal time should we have, how much time will it take for us to make sure that all the lights and sound and costumes are working, how much time will it take for us to share this performance with an audience. And I have found the more inclusive you are and the more different needs that you need to support within the cast or even within people in the audience, I think you need to have just a flexible idea of time and be really flexible with the idea that your auditions might take longer, your rehearsals might take longer, bringing all the elements together in a tech rehearsal might take longer, your performances might even take longer. You might need to modify the way you look at doing intermissions or breaks. So being really flexible, not even with your own time and figuring it out, but even with your calendar of when you're getting things done can be really useful. Another barrier that I think can be challenging in a theater process is just thinking about how so many of the skills that we associate with being a good actor or being a good theater artist have to do with skills that are related, but not necessarily the most important. So for example, many times good actors are also people who are really comfortable, competent readers. And they're really good at picking up a script and kind of reading it well in the first read. And I have found doing inclusive work, you actually don't need to be a great reader in order to be a great actor. You just might need to figure out a different way to learn your lines, right? So um, there's that. 
One thing that I think theater offers as a discipline that's really inclusive is that there are so many different roles that you can have in the theater. You could be an actor, you could be a scenic designer or a lighting designer or a sound designer. You could work backstage, you could work on stage, you could be a director, you could be a stage manager. So there are so many different roles and so many different skill sets that are needed. If one role doesn't fit or feel right for what you bring to the process, you can kind of find another role or even make your own. So there's more variety of options of roles that really benefit a variety of people. I think that's a benefit of the theater that there are multiple roles. In my formal training in theater, often people will say theater is a great opportunity because it allows you to combine multiple disciplines, right? Theater can include visual art, dance, sound, music, all of those things. I do think in all disciplines, there are opportunities for looking at those multiple roles, but theater does tend to have a lot of those in one spot. What do you think that does for the performer, for the student or whoever is participating in that? What does that do for their life? One of the great benefits of doing theater, I think, is that it allows you to be the storyteller and for you to take ownership and pride in a story that you're telling. And so the opportunity in theater to tell someone else's story in multiple ways and take on their perspective and also to make space to tell your own stories that are uniquely you is something that I think is really beneficial in theater. Let's walk through how you've taken that focus and approach and how you were introduced to Arts for All and bringing it and connecting it to Arts for All. So at what point were you introduced to the organization and how has that grown or changed over time? So I moved to Louisville in late 2010, early 2011, and automatically I was just so impressed with the city of Louisville, with the region of Kentucky for the amount of art support that it had. And I think I became aware of Arts for All very quickly as it was connected with the Kentucky Arts Council as a resource and as a place to support inclusive work. In the summer of 2011, I believe there was the Leadership Exchange for Arts and Disability, which was based out of Washington, D.C. at the Kennedy Center. Their Office of VSA and Office of Accessibility hosted a national conference for leaders and cultural arts providers and accessibility. The shorthand is we sometimes call lead like access summer camp um, for people, for cultural arts providers that do access. And I think that's where I really became more aware of arts for all Kentucky. When I left my job as a full-time educator at a local arts organization in 2015, I wanted to start working as kind of an independent contractor and teaching artist. And the Arts for All roster was a really good fit for what I wanted to do and what I was passionate about as a theater artist. I could share my information on that roster and get the word out to other teachers and other people interested in that kind of work. So I think I joined the roster probably in the summer of 2015. And to be honest with you, I didn't get an influx of requests in my inbox right away, but it was a great opportunity as I met teachers or as I reconnected with teachers to tell them, and I still to this day say, you know, do you know that there's an organization in Kentucky that has a pot of money waiting for you, support waiting for you if you're interested in working with students with disabilities. And most teachers in the state are working with students with disabilities in some capacity, right? Most teachers have 
a student with a 504 plan or an IEP in their classroom at some point. So it tends to be a really good fit for a wide range of teachers, and it allows myself and the teacher to kind of learn together and figure out what strategies work best for their class. So over time and doing those and more of those experiences, either in classrooms or workshops or whatever that looks like, what has been your overall assessment of what those have been like for you? Arts for All residencies have been such a great resource for me. It allows me to think about my discipline as a theater artist and as a theater educator really deeply because part of the application process is thinking about what kind of supports you're going to put in for the students that you're working with. So there's no shortcut. You have to really think deeply about it and prepare yourself. I always find that there's that preparation that happens before. There's the preparation that happens while you're in the moment and you're solving problems. And then there's that post-residency reflection. You say, oh, now that I've done it once, here's what I would like to try next time. So Even the application process and the partnering process with the partnering teacher has been a great learning opportunity for me to just develop new ideas and do that in a supported way and in a way that also honors and values my time because there's funding built in for that as well. What does your typical residency look like? What are you engaging in with the class? So it really depends. A lot of times with a theater background, my work the residency content will be story-based. So we will pick a particular story or narrative or characters to explore. And that usually connects in with the classroom teacher's core standards for English language arts or sometimes social studies, or sometimes it's an arts-based residency like playwriting. Usually the length of the residency can be anywhere from four to six or seven sessions And so depending on my calendar, that's, I can usually plan for about a month of my time. Occasionally I'll have a teacher that'll say, can you come do four or five sessions all in a row one week and let's knock it out of the park. But in general, if the teacher is open, I find that visiting about once a week gives us all some think time in between our sessions. So a great typical Arts for All residency for me can be anywhere from a week to a month, but that's anywhere from four to six or seven sessions. What sort of eye-opening experiences have you witnessed for any students? Like those moments where they light up, are there any that stand out for you or what sort of engagement are you seeing from the classes? It is really fun to watch that student engagement happen when you're in the middle of a residency. For me as a theater artist, one of my goals when I walk in there is of course self-expression. And so that is always going to change because you're always going to have a different group of students in front of you. One residency that I have done with Arts for All is a playwriting residency where students are coming up with their own original content for plays. And I, particularly in the 2020-2021 school year where we were doing the majority of our work digitally and on Zoom, I would really try to pare down the elements of a good play or a good story to, okay, who are the characters and what's the conflict and do the characters get what they want or not, right? So you can take, you know, the most complex play and or story and narrow it down into those three questions. And I found it so delightful to see such a variety of takes on those three simple questions. So, you know, we had one play where 
two friends were trapped on a desert island and they both had very different feelings about a giant pile of garbage. One of them thought that pile of garbage was a huge asset and was going to help them get off the island. And the other one was like, no, this is getting in our way. And to hear the authentic dialogue that the teenagers came up with about how these two friends would literally get (laughs) off the desert island. I mean, it's the most entertaining thing in the world. One huge highlight for me of Arts for All Residencies is just hearing the unique ideas from the students and how they work in their own experiences from their own lives into their art, right? And into that self-expression is hugely, hugely satisfying, mostly because it's different every single time. You can do the exact same arts activity and you'll get different results because you have different people that you're working with. One more thing that has been hugely satisfying for me as an educator is to see a student really connect with an art form and realize that their relationship with that art form can go beyond the residency, right? So working with young people who realize that they could not only be playwrights, but they could find other jobs in the theater, in the literary world, as editors, as copywriters, as reviewers. So really opening up the possibilities for students in terms of how they can continue to have a relationship with a particular art form is also really, really satisfying. Has it been a particularly like leveling experience for all of the students? Like all of a sudden when we're in theater and we're in storytelling mode where kind of the the playing field there is pretty even, you know, regardless of, of ability is that, have, have you noticed that during your residencies? I have. There was one arts for all residency I did about, maybe it was a year or a year and a half ago, the residency was actually for me to offer support to a classroom teacher who wanted to make sure that her practices were really inclusive. And so my main focus was being a support and a coach for her. And what we found was that by adapting the arts-based content to be at its most universal level, where everyone had something to contribute from their own lived experience, What she ended up doing was then changing the other elements of her classroom rituals. So for example, she started each class with a song and she invited each of her students to choose two or three songs that they would want to contribute to the playlist. She instituted a show and tell. This was a high school class, right, that she instituted where anyone in the class could take three minutes of the day to share a skill that they wanted their classmates to know about. Because we had first tackled making the arts content as universal as possible, the other rituals in her classroom became universal as well. And so the relationships, particularly between teenagers with disabilities and teenagers without disabilities, you literally saw the possibilities open up for that communication and those relationships to grow. So that was really, really a beautiful thing to witness. So following the residency, there's some residual benefits that you've heard about from. Oh, in that case, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So speaking of the organization broadly, you know, what would you say to a teacher out there or fellow artist who is interested in arts for all? What would you say that might convince them to get involved? 
I would say that Arts for All is one of the most supportive organizations that I've come across in my time. And that if you have an idea for a way to connect arts with your students with disabilities, whether or not you're the arts teacher or the classroom teacher or the special education teacher, that Arts for All is there to help you. I know sometimes this was true for me. When you first engage with Arts for All, maybe it's through the website or maybe it's through some paperwork, it can feel a little overwhelming. There can be a lot of steps and a lot of things to do. I encourage everyone to just keep trying to figure out how your idea can fit into what Arts for All offers because Arts for All is here to be that resource and to help you think through it with you. So if you're not sure and you kind of have half an idea, but you get stuck, just know that you have a thought partner waiting for you on the other end of the phone or the email chain or the website. That's their purpose is they're there to help you develop those ideas. Thank you all for tuning into Arts for All Kentucky Stories. Uh, it's a great opportunity for us to showcase our artists and students and parents, families impacted by Arts for All Kentucky, and to talk more about how the arts is an opportunity that's unifying uh, and inclusive for those with disabilities. Again, we'd like to thank the Kentucky Arts Council and the Kentucky Department of Education Office for Special Education and Early Learning for making all of this possible. We invite you to follow us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Spotify or YouTube, where we release the podcast to stay up to date with new releases. Again, my name is Sam Kirby, and thanks for the opportunity to host this show.